and welcome to a living my youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Mike McGlone. Now Mike is an actor, he's a novelist, he's a musician, and he's developing his own TV series right now called Kenny the Gun. I've seen some of Kenny's work in action on his YouTube channel. It is very funny and Mike assures me the show is getting picked up and I wouldn't bet against him. The character is very funny. He talks about how that character came about. Mike's best remembered as the Geico spokesperson. Talk about the inspiration for developing that character and which of his commercials is his favorite. He was Patrick McMullen in The Brothers McMullen. He was in She's the One. We talk about working with Ed Burns. He was an episode of Psych. He's also a musician, having released a few albums. They're fantastic. We play a couple songs during the show. Really nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So, Mike, I want to start with um, one of, I guess, your latest project, which I watched a lot of the videos on YouTube, and it really made me laugh. It's uh, Kenny the Gun. Um, I really hope uh, this gets picked up. Uh, as uh, I was talking with Rob before, and Rob said that it's going to get picked up, and I'm sure it will because it's very funny. If you want to talk about a little Thank bit you. about the backstory about Kenny, the inspiration. I, I would be happy to. And, and just to, to reinforce your awareness of this already, you have my word, Noel, nice. from me to you personally, that this show will be on your television set and you will be able to enjoy it in your in your streaming experience. Uh, and I also want to let you know that the show was first conceived before it was even a show because the character was what came first on the set of The Bone Collector, which is a movie I made in Montreal in 1999. Right. I was up there with Eddie O'Neill and Angelina Jolie and Queen Latifah, Denzel Washington was the lead. And it was the first time that I had worn a gun. I was playing a detective on the Homicide Task Force. And the way that the gun made me feel and also just the fact that I enjoy performing for people and being a showman for friends and, and strangers, on the set I would I would give on to this or ego I named Kenny the Gun. And I, I really can't tell you where he came from outside of my desire to make my friends laugh and have fun on the set. But I would walk up to Eddie and I would say, oh, my friend, I think maybe you've forgotten with whom you deal. And then I would lean forward, you know, the signature move. If anyone wants to know what the signature move is, to search Kenny the Gun on the web and you'll see it. And then I would lean forward, I would tap the gun, and I would say, Kenny. Eh, the gun. So it, it came from this characterological place, and that was all it was. It was a character made to make people laugh, and then years later, I decided that I would develop a show around him, and that's what I've done. Yeah, and you know, ch check out the videos because also Dr. Kenny, which is, which is very funny. I, I I love the hair. Was was that a wig? Or was that your real hair? You just messed up. That is no, that, that's a wig. <laughs> okay. And then Dr. Kenny, so you know. Is, is within the context of Kenny the Gun. Dr. Kenny is basically Kenny's darkest psychic personality. Dr. Kenny is, is, is sprung from Kenny. He's not separate from, from Kenny the Gun. He is the, he's the, he's the dark shadow 
male passenger that some people I'm sure can identify with that voice in the head that doesn't have always positive things to say, actually doesn't ever have positive things to say in terms of Dr. Kenny. And that's, that's the basis for that set of sketches. And I'm very happy you're enjoying it. Yeah. And I don't want to really give too much away. because I want you know people to enjoy watching it, but the Dr. Kenny is, I would say he's pretty hard on uh, Kenny himself. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> he is. And that's, again, that's not actually even a separate personality. Right. That's Kenny on Kenny. Yeah. So Dr. Kenny is coming after Kenny, and it's the, the, the premise of the entire sketch is that that Dr. Kenny is inside Kenny's head. And so this is the most brutal self-opinion that Kenny has coming back at him on a regular basis. So the worst advice, the most critical stances, and the, the most brutal uh, language. Right. How much has Kenny evolved since the Bone Collector days? Oh, my goodness. I, so much. I, You know, he was originally a character that was, as I said, inspired to make people laugh strictly. And there wasn't any story around him. It was just, uh, he's a fun character who looks at you and has a very New York attitude and cast on his gun and people smile, etc. He, over the years, in fact, it has been some years that I've been working on him, I've developed into greater nuance and the story has deepened and the... The, the map of, of the show has has expanded to be an entire globe. So at one point it was perhaps one island and that was the character, that was the idea of Kenny the Gun as a character. And then it expanded and expanded, expanded, expanded and until the point that it became an entire world where there's a mother, there's a father, there's a police force, there's backstory on the police force, there's where he comes from as a cop, where he comes from as a kid, where his mother comes from as a kid, where his father comes from as a kid. So it's now a completely fleshed, or I would say relatively completely fleshed uh, universe of the the family story and his story. Right, and before we went on air, we were talking about um, that he, I'm originally from Queens, and that's where Kenny's from. Where, whereabouts in Queens is he from? Yes, it felt like Woodside would be the best location for where he was raised and where his father was raised, who was also a cop. And that's because the Irish concentration in that area was so high in the 70s and 80s, which is when his father would have been an operational cop on the job. And then going forward, where... Kenny was raised after his father checked out on his mom and himself. Right. Um, have you, you're saying he's from uh, the Woodside area. Did you kind of um, go scope out Queens a little bit, kind of get a feel for it, or is this just based I on have, research? I, I, all, all, my research has not necessarily been on foot yet, though I have done research in terms of the visual and the stats in terms of what was happening in certain areas and the Irish concentration and I'm going to have to see where the 
house would land where it would need to be. But uh, Woodside does seem to be the most appealing location at the moment. Not only because of all the things that I've shared up to now, but because I'm aware that there are actually 1970s and 1980s cops who were on the job who were living out there when they were coming up. Right, and it makes sense. You want to be as accurate as possible. Oh, yeah, indeed, yeah. And, you know, like uh, Queen's Irishman uh, is a, a proud Queen's resident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When we got the series presentation for Kenny, I wanted, I wanted Queens for the location because that's where he's from. Though, as it turns out with production, you know, I I had to make a choice based on what was available. So we shot actually Queens in Brooklyn. It was okay. in Brooklyn that right. we shot his home. Yeah, and you're originally from New York too, right? I was born in White Plains, New York. Oh, okay, yeah. And I grew up in, in towns outside the city right. and also in Connecticut and in Pennsylvania. Okay. I moved to New York City in 1993, I believe, to pursue my career. Okay. Careers, I should say. Right, yeah. I will say. And was there for about 22 years, give and take certain months here and there with projects. And I also stayed in Los Angeles for about six, eight months early on in my career in the in the mid-90s. Right. So with those things aside, I was in New York City for about 22 years before I moved out to Los Angeles, which is where I am now. Right. Where in Connecticut did you live for a little bit? We lived for the longest time, actually, in Connecticut, and that was in Fairfield, Connecticut. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm currently in Trumbull, Connecticut. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Trumbull Mall. We yeah we grew up going going to the Trumbull Mall to eat Mrs. Fields cookies and oh yeah yeah the sporting goods stores, etc., among other things. Right, it's it's changed a lot since you you remember it. I'm sure a lot a lot. I I, I haven't been in so long. Yeah. I would imagine it's. It's a different feel. We used to go to the movie theater over there. Is there still a movie theater oh, yeah. by the mall? Yep, still there. So okay. It's, it's still there. Cool. Yeah, I, um, when I was younger, I used to work at ESPN. So I was traveling from, I was living in Stanford at the time. So I'd stop at the mall. They had an Orange Julius. And, you know, who didn't love an Orange Julius at the mall? So I would go there a few times a week to the point where they thought I worked at the mall. And they, they asked me, oh, oh, what store do you work at? And I had a you know quick thinking, oh, yeah, I work at GameStop, you know, the video game store. So I ended up getting a uh, employee discount every time I went there. And, and it, w- it was pretty great until, the, unfortunately, it closed down, but the, uh, the orange mm-hmm. juice. But, you know, I, you got to take advantage of it when you can. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, I like the, the Kenny Gunn character kind of reminds me a little bit of the show Sledgehammer back in the day. I don't know if you were a fan of that show. I know the name. Refresh me as to an actor or it was actors. David Rashkel or Rashi. I can't pronounce his name. It was kind of like a real over the top uh, cop, and um, it, it was very funny. Just if you if you Google it, it's probably on Netflix. And he had you know a massive like gun, and very you know very over the top. But uh, I mean, Kenny, just some of the mannerisms I, I feel you know was brought on by um, Sledgehammer, which which. If that's the case, then the show is going to be great. Oh, well, thank you. I, if you if you have enjoyed my other 
the films, uh, Brothers, she's the one, the show Family Christmas, right. you're going to love this show. I can't really speak about Sledgehammer, but right. I do know that if you, if you like other things that I've done in film, especially those films, which are very deeply Irish-American, you're going to love the, the Kenny the Gun incarnation right. and, uh, and, and the trajectory of the series. Right. And do you think you kind of waited to like the right time to shop this around now that there are, so, I mean, besides, you know, broadcast network and obviously cable, that everyone basically has a streaming site now and you can basically distribute it pretty much where you want? I, I didn't necessarily have a strategy in mind in terms of that. I, I have only ever had a goal to get it sold and get it on the television screen. And that is what I'm committed to doing and what I will do and look forward to you enjoying. Perfect. But there was not a, uh, a thought that, oh, let's wait until something else happens or this happens, etc. If there were any fluctuations in that, it just had to do with what else was going on in my life and other focuses that I needed to be the case until the time when I let go of almost everything else and decided this is the time that I'm going to pursue Kenny getting a contract and getting on our television screens. And from that commitment forward, I there has been no change. It's, it's, it's just forward until we're there and then forward still beyond that. Right, and I, I wish you nothing but the, you know, the best with that. Um, Thank you, Noel. Yeah. Now, have you, like, kind of have ideas of who would play the characters in the, you know, Kenny the Gun world so far? Uh, yes. I, Anita Gillette is, has already been established as the mom in footage that we've already shot. Oh, good. And, yeah, and if it's, and if it's possible for her to be with us going forward and other things fall into place in terms of supporting that, I, I want to, experience her as my mom again. I say that because she was your mom in the Family Christmas is a film that I made with Eddie Burns in which Anita plays my mom. Right. And that is but that's not where we met. We met on a film called She's the One where she played my character's wife's mom. And going forward I saw her as Kenny's mom so clearly and she just plays it so extremely well right awesome uh, that, that's great now so, uh, going back now because obviously accomplished actor novelist musician um, which was like your first passion growing up I I'll tell you I, I discovered them in ways very naturally I there isn't one that has a has a prevailing pleasure or happiness for me above others. When I'm in the midst of, of doing any of them, I have a satisfaction and a joy that is ultimate in, in any one of them. And they're different art forms. And so it's, it's, I think, almost impossible, if not impossible, to compare them or to calibrate them uh, in terms of each other. I will say that when I was seven, 
I discovered my love of singing courtesy of Elvis Presley and my father. My father sat me down one day and put on Elvis's golden hits, a vinyl record, Elvis's golden hits. He actually, the words that he used were, sit down, Mike, you're about to hear the king of rock and roll. <laughs> and he put on Elvis's golden hits, Hound Dog, and I was enamored of this music, this sound, and the look of this man. There was a picture of Elvis on the, on the jacket. And everything about this experience was fabulous to me. I was doing something with my father, and I was listening to music that was terrific. And I was looking at this man who sounded like nothing I'd ever heard and looked so beautiful and wonderful that that night I, I combed my hair back in the bathroom and my recollection is that I was singing Hound Dog into the mirror. Hmm. And I, I recall that there was this experience of hearing my own voice and realizing that it sounded good and that I liked doing it. And so that's how the singing came to me. I, I discovered that it sounded good and that I wanted to do it, it brought me joy, and so I continued to do it. And as with everything else, that was also the same. Something would inspire me to write a poem or to write a story. I'd read a, an Edgar Allan Poe poem, and, it, and I'd want to write a poem, so I'd write a poem. Or I would want to get someone's attention because I'm a Leo, so we're born with a with a desire to be show people and to perform and to be the center of attention. So I would do that, and that got me into plays and other such things. So these things came to me as they did, and they weren't necessarily on any given schedule that I could recognize, though I do feel that they were on some given schedule because it's my destiny to do all these things. That's That's something that later in life I realized was one of the great gifts of my life is that I am doing everything that I was destined to do with my life. Yeah, and that's absolutely fantastic because, you know, some people can say that even they couldn't even do yeah, one, one of the things right. that they wanted to, and you, yeah. you're tackling everything, so that that is, that's fantastic. Um, Thank you, Noel. Yeah, so I'll talk about your musical career real quick. I'm going to jump around, but um, it's, that's I, right. it's, I'm very, I would say annoyed that you are not bigger. Because it, your music is, is fantastic, and I just discovered it recently. Um, each song is better than the rest. I think Cool is my she favorite did. song, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you, man. You got to follow the rules. As long as you can swallow me in school. All the other children. I can swallow the school. 
got to follow the rules Even if we can't swallow the Now, I guess similar to like Kenny, where you can go out, you know, and trying to shop it, you know, for distributors, you have like you have great, um, yeah. you know, options now for your music. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, you couldn't really put it out. I mean, now you can just put it out independently. Sure, you can. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's great. It gives you an av- and, avenue for that. And I, yeah, and I've been on my own with the music from the beginning. And so the marketing money would fluctuate, et cetera, and sometimes just not even be there at all. Right. So when you're wondering, you know, about the greater exposure of the music, that has a lot to do with it. I haven't had the support of a major label or even a, a strong independent label to this time. Though without knowing what trajectory it will take to get there, I do feel ultimately confident that the music will reach an ever greater audience and there will be even more uh, success, abundant success with it. Right, oh, that's great. Now, do you think you'll actually incorporate some of your music into Kenny the Gun? I, I, I would if it's, if it's appropriate. Right, right. I, I have written the first season for Kenny, and where it was potentially possible, I did look, though there were other songs that in terms of the story seemed to work superiorly for what was going on. If there is an appropriate place for my music there, I'll put it in, but, but it won't be a forced issue. If there isn't a place where it feels like it's the, it's the home run edition, then it won't be there. And there'll be plenty of other opportunities for me to use my music in in other ways. Right. So he's not going to shamelessly promote yourself. It has to be, you know, meaningful. (laughs) Yeah, it has to be right. It absolutely has to be right. Right. And the music that I've chosen to this time may not be, I believe it's right, but it may not end up being what is used for for the fact of whether the licensing is available, whether the licensing is too expensive, et cetera. But right now, the first season has a bunch of different music choices for the soundtrack of a given episode, and actually the, the soundtrack of the, of the first season. And we'll see if that remains the case when when we're in production. Right. Are you planning to like direct any of these episodes as well? I... I would be open to that, though, given the fact that I have not, outside of the 
the, the production of Kenny the Gun that I'm responsible for to date right. directed anything for television. I don't know if I'll be given that opportunity, which I understand. If I am given the option of doing it, I would do it because I, I do know that I can do it and I would do it well. Though at the same time, I would understand if they wanted someone else to be in that seat. Right. And I, I, I wouldn't bet, bet against you in doing it. So I, I think. I think you, oh, my man. Thank you, No, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. But uh, yeah, I mean, who. Anyone who is listening who hasn't listened to Mike's music, it's on iTunes. Buy it, Spotify. It's it's great. Uh, you you really enjoy it, and um, I'm I'm glad I discovered it. Not just your acting, but your music as well. So I'm from pretty. Excited. Thank you. No, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the songs I really enjoy um, has an interesting backstory. It's one of your singles called "The Hammer," and I know it yeah. has kind of a hockey background. If you want to just talk about that a little bit. I'd be delighted to. It's actually a, a biographical song based on one of the most important times in my dear friend Darren Taylor's life. He's also one of the writers on the song. He and his wife and I decided that we would write a song one night that was centered around the time in his life when he had come into the NHL only to be taken out within his first season by a career-ending knee injury. So there was this greatness of accomplishments that was almost immediately dashed by an injury that cost him the opportunity to continue in the sport. So the song takes you from the time when he realizes that this is the case through how his life unfolded into arguably an even greater accomplishment for him becoming a world-class chiropractor and anatomist who has assisted and healed people all over the world. Wow, so that's, it's an amazing story. So maybe that was his real true calling and not playing hockey. That is one of the one of the foundations of the song is at least that thesis that the, the his destiny was not hockey. However wonderful a player he was, which he was, that his destiny was beyond that. His destiny was to go to school, understand through his own suffering what it is to heal and bring that awareness in ways physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually into a medical practice. I missed it, I missed it, that's a dream there I held my 
say goodbye to my master plan. It was so hard. Cause I'd kissed it. I'd kissed it. Yeah. Watch this some others went another way Thought that was supposed to be me someday But I was meant for something else Going somewhere, somewhere Back in school, trying to make a healing Out of all this pain that I'm feeling Knowing there's a truth coming at me somewhere Somewhere, and the pain grows Getting so big, gonna get so big Gonna feel like love and I cry Cause maybe I didn't miss it, I didn't miss it There's a dream here in my hands Healing myself and my fellow man There's a dream here I'm gonna kiss it I'm gonna kiss it Yeah Then one day I had to realize There's a young lady looking me in the eyes And I know she can take me Somewhere, somewhere I'm gonna tell her that I Together on this road, we're going somewhere, somewhere. And the pain goes, the joy's gonna rise. Making a laugh, seeing that light in her eyes. There's a dream here. I didn't miss it, I didn't miss it. There's a dream here. I can hold my hand, feeling even better than what I had planned. That face, man. I wanna kiss it, I wanna kiss it. So big, gonna get so big, gonna feel like loving its life, man. You can't miss it, you can't miss it. There's a gift here, you're holding your hand. So even if there's been a change of plans, it's your life. So don't miss it, don't miss it. I would say, like most Brothers McMullen, I mean, Ed Burns' debut movie, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, the first thing I noticed about that movie, uh, which Ed wrote and direct, is the, the opening credits. You know, it didn't say starring Ed Burns. It gave all three of you equal, you know, equal credit off the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which I thought was really nice. Yeah, I. I believe that that has to do with the fact that it is a story about three brothers who right. all have an equal part in right. the story. So it would it would have seemed out of balance if any one brother of the three brothers who are equally contributing to the story were not given an individual place. Right, yeah, and you know, Patrick was like the moral compass of of the three brothers, and uh, of definitely the right, yeah, yes. right. And uh, do you think he's still with Leslie now? Oh my goodness, that's funny man. <laughs> I there's an argument for that. There's right. definitely an argument for that, and there's a it's a strong argument. It's a strong argument that he is right. Okay, now I. It's approaching, I think, next year with the 25th anniversary of the movie, which is which is ridiculous already. Um, 
Oh my goodness! Quarter yeah. of a century, man. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can rent a car now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Lucky twenty-five. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you know if, if Ed has any plans to like revisit that that story? He, he has actually oh, had good. plans for that. That the timing and other factors have not necessarily uh, prevailed to give vent to uh, another picture but I do know it has been on his mind I haven't heard anything recently from him about that so I don't know what the status of his thoughts are on that but I do know that there have been times when that was very important to him and it just seemed like the factors weren't there to support it happening no, we'll see. There, there could be something going forward that changes in that area, and there, there may be something else. I know that there is an audience for it because people ask me about that in the same way that, that you have. Right, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, how did you, how did you get that role? Oh gosh, there was an ad in backstage, which is probably still the most. A substantial actor's resource in terms of non-union work and 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 also union work to a certain degree for up-and-coming actors. And it was pre, you know, the cyberspace explosion. So backstage was a weekly paper that came out on Wednesdays. And I saw an ad in one of the editions for a movie that was non-union called The McMullen Brothers. Later, he retitled it, as you know, The Brothers McMullen. Though it was then called The The McMullen Brothers. And it detailed the characters very well. And in the descriptions, I saw that I was right for the middle brother. At least my impression of what I read was I I feel like the middle brother is what I would I would play. And that turned out to be Eddie's character. Though right. so Eddie's put his own character in the ad, I suppose to let people know what the whole story was without telling anyone that he intended to play it. So I'm looking at this screenwriter role and I'm thinking, oh, that's wonderful for me. I was writing my first novel at the time and I thought, oh, that's great. A little did I know that Patrick McMullen was the role that I would play, the youngest of the three Irish-American brothers. And I found that out when I showed up at the audition and he had materials for that character, not the middle one. And I read it. He enjoyed what I did. We saw each other on the subway after the first audition by chance, or what you would consider chance. I don't really believe in chance. Though serendipitously, I will say, we we sat next to each other on the subway. And it was in a time when I why I hadn't received a phone call. Because in the first audition, I felt I did very well. And I didn't hear from them. So he sits next to me on the subway. We, we both do a quasi-double take and then end up having a, a brief conversation in which he tells me that it looks like they were going to call me, which they did. And after that callback, I got the part and then we shot it and you know what happened after that. Right. How is, I mean, because you've worked with him, you know, in other movies as well. How is he as a director? He's wonderful. He's a 
Jack Lemon talked about working with Walter Matthau, and it's, this is a this is a good assimilation of how it feels for me to work with with Eddie. Jack Lemon said of working with Walter Matthau, I mean that's like sitting down to breakfast with your family. Right. That's how it feels working with Eddie. It's pleasant and it's enjoyable. He is a very he, he's a very supportive director. You get the feeling that he believes in you. This is my experience with him. And with me particularly, that is extremely valuable. Because when I feel the trust of other people, I something in me expands even further. If I feel like I'm not being trusted or there's something more controlling surrounding me, it's not as fluid or easy an experience. And with Eddie, it's, 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 it's wide open in so many ways, in, in most ways. And I have enjoyed the experience of working with him on all three films. We have had such wonderful times on all three. How much did he change or at all from the first movie compared to the third movie? In terms of what? Of, of, of directing? D- directing, just, you know, overall seeing a set, you know, because, I mean, obviously, you know, The Brothers McFarlane was his first movie. Well, I will say that there wasn't much difference movie to movie. She's the one may have had, it may have had a little... Uh, a slightly different feel because we had just gone from Brothers of Mullen where we're stealing shots on subways to having, I, well, I think it was three to five million dollars for the movie. And so that one may have had some things about it that had to do with the new success and, and, and adjustments to that, etc. Though still it was a, a highly enjoyable experience on the whole and when we did the show Family Christmas years later it was in a lot of ways not different at all because we had gone back to the Brothers McMullen model Eddie was paying for it on his own and there wasn't a lot of money but there was a lot of great material and a lot of great camaraderie on set and enjoyment on set etc so minimal changes in terms of the working situation right. if any right. sometimes yeah. and how I know besides you know the inception of uh, Kenny the Gun how was your experience on Bone Collector excellent yeah. I, I had one of the most enjoyable experiences on a film set on that movie that I've had in all of my career it was a magical time Montreal's a beautiful city. I so much enjoyed being with Eddie and Angelina and Queen Latifah, and I had grown up watching, you know, Glory. Oh yes. And other stellar performances by Denzel. So there were just so many things about that experience that were excellent and positive, and I was extremely grateful for it, and then still am. Right. And uh, you actually had a guest starring spot on one of my favorite shows, uh, Psych. And you, you, oh. yeah, very over the top character. Um, 
Yeah, that, that show was fantastic, and I'm sure you had fun doing that one as well. I did. It was a, it was a character actually that wasn't part written for me by a wonderful writer producer by the name of Todd Harthan. He came to me and said, "Hey, I wrote this role and I had you in mind." Well, that's my recollection of our of our conversation, and he invited me to be a part of it, and I agreed and had a wonderful time shooting it. It's a it's a character that I. I definitely felt very uh, familiar with. He's not similar to the to the character of Francis Fitzpatrick in that he's very uh, self loving mm-hmm. in I would say uh, an egotistical way, not a, not a spiritually sound, positive way, but in an arrogant way, in an almost and not just almost, but fully obnoxious way at times. And so, you know, playing those guys is a blast. Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm looking forward to they're coming out with another movie, so looking forward to watching that as well. Um, now, I guess I'll talk about, you know, Geico, because uh, it's my car insurance, and, you know, I save 15% every time I use it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I mean, that... I, I mean, obviously, I mean, probably most people walking on the street will notice you from that, uh, but... Uh, talk, let's talk about getting that that role and just because they don't make bad commercials. Every campaign is fantastic. They do. Well, I will say that I at that time in my career was not open to on camera commercials. I was predominantly in the voiceover world and of course film and television. And my agent had seen this campaign and came to me with the invitation to just look at the material and see if there was something that appealed to me there because she was very insightful and very wise in fact to do that because the material was unique. It was very, very unique. And when I saw it, I saw why she wanted me to look at it because it was exceptional. It wasn't like uh, any other commercial I'd ever seen to that time I also knew when I looked at the material how I would perform it I would say almost immediately if not immediately I looked at the material and I thought oh, I got this guy I know who this guy is because that's that hard boiled personality that you see in the Geico commercial is one that I had already been using in leaving fun and funny voice messages for friends of mine. <laughs> I would I would call them and I would do a routine, a, a kind of comedy sketch routine in a voice that sounded like this. And it would go on for three to four minutes talking to my friend on the voice message machine. And so when I went in to do the, the spot, I realized that that worked perfectly and then that's what they felt so I got hired yeah um, yeah no, it's, it's great you, you play it kind of like a Robert Stack almost like Robert Vaughn type type character which which is great yeah it's I it's not there's no intentionality with right any particular personality. Some people say Robert Stack, some people say Rod Serling, and they think it's an imitation of those guys. And it's, it's not directly that. It's basically a, it's a, it's an alter ego of a general kind of way of being from the 40s and 50s with men. Because if you watch Dragnet, 
you look at Peter Graves, you look at Robert Stack, you look at Rod Sterling, they all have that very intentional voice, that that, that typically masculine voice. And there was a, a cadence and a staccato about how they spoke. And some of them sound similar to each other in certain ways, but they each have their own personality. And the, and the personality in the Geico is also no less individual in his way. Which one uh, is your favorite? Oh gosh, I, I can't say I have a favorite again, mm-hmm. man. I those guys are so good. <laughs> I, I love listening to well, the, the ones that I'm mentioning: Peter Graves, Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. I will say that with no dishonor to anybody else, Rod Serling as a creator is an extremely impressive person. I, I don't know how many people know that he was as substantial a writer and creator as he was because he was this really magnetic personality on screen. Right. He created Twilight Zone and he wrote, I believe, every episode of that show. And then there was another after that that he did. I'm not remembering the name of it. And he wrote all the episodes of that show. This guy was a titan of of creative inspiration and greatness and of course his his personality on screen and the cadence of his voice so attractive and and wonderful and and now it's considered old school but when it was happening then it was the norm in many ways for what people considered to be a masculine energy of an announcer and presenter on screen right yeah you're absolutely right now, of all like your Geico reads, what did any of them actually kind of make you crack up? I, I, I feel like I mean, we made twenty of them, so I'm not sure that I'm yeah. readily recalling all of right. them. Though I don't remember ever looking at any one of them and feeling that's not funny. Yeah, I I, I remember feeling that I wanted to say all of those words. Every everyone, the ones that probably stay with me, uh, Ed Tuttle Jones, yeah, and the the, the piggy. Though I don't <laughs> know if if that's about the fact that the piggy just had a resurgence or not. Right. Though Ed Tuttle Jones is probably the one that that has stayed with me the most. That might also though be due to the fact that when I was. A, a little boy, Ed Tuttle Jones was a hero of mine. He was playing okay. for Dallas right. when I was about four or five, and we used to collect cards. And he definitely was one of those guys who you just loved if you were a young boy who was interested in football. And getting to meet him and also say that line was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that one's one of my favorites too. But. Uh... Mike, this was fantastic. I really appreciate it. I hope you feel better. Um, I hope Kenny. Thank you, I hope Kenny the Gun gets you know picked up quickly. Uh, everyone, go check out his music. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. You won't be disappointed. Where can uh, people find like your novels and everything else like that? Uh, the, the novels are not publicly available yet. Okay, that is something that is to come. Okay, though, so if anyone wants more experience with Kenny the Gun or they want to get some 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 prefatory material say there's a trailer that's currently online of footage that I've shot to date 
So if they search Kenny the Gun in a Google search, that's going to be one of the first things that, that comes up. There, there's also the, the Kenny the Gun YouTube channel, which is more the character of Kenny the Gun than it is the show. It's 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 a it's a broader comedic channel meant to deliver the character and to make people laugh and to get people involved with the 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 Kenny the Gun character and the story. Though the the trajectory of Kenny on the show, the TV series that will finally be on the screen is what you'll see represented in the trailer. Awesome. That's great. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, Noel. Have a wonderful day. And a special thanks to Mike for joining me today. Go check out all his films and his music. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and look for Kenny the Gun coming real soon. If you want to follow Mike on social media, it's michaelmaglone.com. He's also on Facebook. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud, it's also on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise. Holidays right around the corner. They make great gifts. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you then.